0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, July 6th, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron, one that will take us through the Old Testament Book of Judges. It is titled Rebellion and Rescue. The period of Israel's history recorded in the book of Judges is far from what we would label a golden age. Two summarizing statements from the book put it succinctly. At the close of the book, we're going to be told that the period of the Judges was a time when everyone did what was right in his own eyes. But while people were doing what was right in their own eyes, what did God's eyes see? And the first half of the book will put it like this The people of Israel did what was evil. In the sight of the Lord. Yet such faithlessness from his people does not change the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord shows himself faithful in this book, faithful to the consequences he had promised would come to his people when they rebel against him in idolatry, and faithful to rescue his people in their repentance. That's the cycle we'll see over and over again in the book of Judges. And to introduce that book to us, today's text is Judges chapter 1, verses 1 through 26. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning. Pastor Ulmer, let's get started with some background on the book of Judges. And and before we talk about author and date and themes like that, maybe just give us a a rundown of, of some Old Testament history where do we find ourselves in the narrative of the Old Testament? What comes before this? Just kind of bring us up to speed when we get to Judges chapter 1. What do we need to know that's come beforehand?
1: Yeah, sounds good. So I think the place that we need to start in order to have a conversation about the book of Judges is to go way, way, way back into the Pentateuch and start in Genesis 12 when God calls Abram to go to a land that he does not know, and Abram picks up his stuff and he heads out to Canaan, and God makes him a promise that his family will uh, live in that land. And then through the course of time, uh, Abram's family gets pulled away from the land, and the people do find themselves through the whole Joseph narrative, they find themselves in Egypt where the people of God Israel, they grow and multiply into, into a large nation in 12 families. And then when Moses rises up in Exodus and the people are freed from slavery in Egypt, they end up making the, the long trip from Egypt to Canaan. They... Uh, fall away from the Lord, they're forced to wander around for 40 years, and at the end of that 40 years, uh, Moses ends up dying, and the people finally cross the Jordan River to start the conquest of the Promised Land. And this is what takes up a considerable chunk of the book of Joshua, the book that precedes the book of Judges, where... Uh, under the leadership of Joshua, the people Israel start conquering uh, the land. When we get to the book of Judges, uh, the conquest is not—at uh, at least at the beginning of Judges—the conquest is not complete. Um, some mention of of this conquest is, is talked about in in Judges one, in the very beginning of Judges two. And then the rest of the book of Judges kind of talks about the period uh, after, uh, how the people lived after the conquest. Hmm.
0: I think one of the things that you, you brought out there that is a, a misconception sometimes when it comes to Joshua and Judges is that the book of Joshua does record for us the start of the conquest of the land of Canaan. It does not record for us the completion of it. And I think that's just a, a common misconception. I know it's one that I've I've struggled to overcome, is that we, we just sort of think in very broad terms, Joshua, they conquer the land, judges, they're in the land. That's not quite the complete picture. In fact, when you go to Joshua chapter 13 particularly, the Lord even tells Joshua before he dies, look, this is the land that still needs to be conquered. And so that's just an important reminder as we go into the book of Judges, particularly here at the beginning. And as we'll see throughout the book, there are some spots where the chronology is is maybe difficult to ascertain, where things are happening happening simultaneously as other events, or perhaps there's a bit of overlap between Joshua and Judges. So it's just a good reminder that in the book of Joshua, the conquest isn't fully completed. There is still land that needs to be taken, and we see that at the beginning of The book of Judges. Now, having said that, there is a a contrast, I think, between the book of Joshua and the Book of Judges. In the book of Joshua, the people are characterized very faithful. There there are a few elements of unfaithfulness, of course, as with all the scriptures. But overall, the people and in Joshua's generation are seen to be faithful, whereas overall in the book of Judges, there's a lot of unfaithfulness.
1: I believe that that would be a very correct way of framing it, and um, as we'll probably talk about in this conversation, that um, that lack of faithfulness stems from the people falling away from God's command to them in, in the conquest, as when God was giving the, the people Israel the land of Canaan, one of his The demands was that they they completely destroy the land and conquer the people. And because, well, and and the Israelites don't do that in totality in the conquest. Some of that has to do with politics, some of that has to do with fear, some of it has to do with some kind of treaties that the people make. Uh, But a lot of the the people's problems stem from the fact that they are sucked into idolatry because they kind of integrate into Canaanite society, and uh, some of the Canaanite gods kind of rub off on them. Mm-hmm.
0: So with, with that, those themes in place, and we can come back to a few themes here as well, just some of those general things, when we open a book of the Bible, it's helpful if we do know these things to, to talk a little bit about them. So for the book of Judges, do we know who the author was potentially, and about when he might have written this book?
1: Yeah. um, I I think most people understand that the the author of the book of Judges is unknown. However, uh, the Talmud does attribute the authorship of Judges to Samuel, so that would put it... um, around 1000 BC, kind of right during the beginning of the of the monarchy of Israel. Mm-hmm.
0: And and there are, as you said, the author is, is unknown, That's a, we have to admit that. Samuel is certainly a very likely candidate, and the dating of the book, there are parts of the book that would indicate to us when it might have been written. One of them is actually going to come up in our text today. There's a note about the city of Jerusalem and its conquering and who was still living there. And, and we know yeah. from other parts of the Old Testament when David comes along and finishes the job. So that gives us an idea of, of when it was written. Later on in this book, there's going to be a note that in those days there was no king in the land, which would indicate that it's likely written when there was a king in the land. And so Samuel is certainly a, a good candidate to think about for authorship, but again, we, we don't know that for a fact. So uh, what about the historical period, about when would we date the— not when was the book itself written, but the events that are given in the book, when did those happen historically?
1: Yeah, so Horace Hummel says that they probably occur between 1250 and 1050 B.C., um, that's what, about 200 years of, of time where these uh, judges, these mm-hmm. saviors, are raised up and, and save the people and, and rule over them. But if you do the, the counting of the amounts of years that the judges serve, um, I read that it totals to be about 410 years. So as you brought up uh, earlier in this conversation, it's hard it's hard to date uh, a lot of the, the book of Judges because yeah, 410 years of history being compacted into about 200 actual years.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Right. So, I mean, what we're going to see as we go through the book of Judges is there's going to be spots where it's not necessarily one after the other, but rather some of these judges are working at the same time. They're contemporaries of each other. It's hard to know exactly where that's happening all the time, uh, but likely you're going to see, you know, for example, one judge might work at this time in this tribe of Israel, and another judge is working at the same time in a different tribe in Israel. So that when we look at the years that are going to be listed in particular places here in the book of Judges, we're not always going to say 40 plus 40 plus 40 plus 30 and so forth, but rather there's going to be some overlap in some of those so that it it does fit in that space between when we know the Exodus occurred and when we know... King Saul, King David, King Solomon ruled from very datable events in the Old Testament. So we're we're in a, you know, about a 200-300 years maybe a span of history before the reign of King Saul. So yeah, in the in the 1200s, 1100s and and early thousands BC is is about the time of the events. And then before we jump into the actual text for today, Pastor Ulmer, just a few more characteristics, themes surrounding the book of Judges. We've already talked about that idea of the unfaithfulness of the people. Uh, perhaps the best way to, to summarize a the theme is that there's going to be this this cycle that we will start to see with the book of Judges. And, and just an introduction to that cycle, I think, would help us as we jump in today.
1: Yeah. So the, the cycle that's going to take place, Starting with the events uh, from Judges 2, 10 through 23, you get this cyclical pattern where Israel does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, Israel walks away from the Lord their God and chases after other gods. Um, as punishment for this, uh, God allows another nation to come in and take over the nation of Israel or the land of one of the tribes. When the people of Israel are oppressed, they they kind of see the error of their ways and they cry out to God for help. And in order to save his people, God then raises up from amongst them a, a judge, a person to, to save the people from their oppressor.
0: So this this four part cycle and then and then generally we call it a cycle because it, it repeats itself. And, and so after the judge dies, then it starts over, where the people fall away from the Lord again, and and you go through this cycle several times in the book of Judges, and that that will be the main chunk of the book of Judges. I I suppose we we could say this, Pastor Elmer, in in terms of what, as a basic outline, how would you outline the book of Judges in brief?
1: Yeah, so a, a brief overview of the book of Judges would look something like this, uh, between the beginning of the book and uh, the end of chapter 2, you kind of have a, a rough conclusion of the, the conquest, the, the part of the conquest that happens after Joshua dies. And then after that, you have chapters between 3 and 16, where Israel goes through this uh, up and down pattern, this, this four-part cycle where they fall away. They're conquered. They cry out to God. God raises up a judge, and then they're restored. So you have that pattern for the, the chapters about three through sixteen, and then after chapter sixteen, you kind of have an epilogue, which is kind of pushing history towards the the United uh, Monarchy of Israel, uh, because they're they're lacking a leader and. How are the people kind of structured? How are they organized? How are they living when everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes mm.
0: so that and, and in that three part structure, there are some texts that we know well and some texts that we don't know so well. You and I were visiting about this prior to the program today that that there are just spots in the book of judges where we really are are lost We often skip over them, maybe, or we we read them when we're reading through the Bible in a year or something like that, but we, we forget, or we, we're a little hazy on the, the background. There are certainly parts of the book of Judges, as we'll come to in other episodes, that are very familiar to us. Uh, figures like Gideon, figures like Samson, uh, but then there's going to be sections, and for me in particular, it's those last chapters, chapter 17 through 21, where they're there's just some very, very strange stuff there that you kind of scratch your head and say, that's in the Bible? It, it, yeah, it is. <laughs> and, it is. And and so uh, the text that we've got for today, I think, is maybe somewhere between those, those two extremes where uh, we'll f- be familiar with some of it, with some of the names. There will be some names that are going to be a bit difficult to pronounce, and so we'll just go with whichever one of us is talking at the time. But, but it's, it's going to be a, a fun journey, I think, to see this time in Israel's history of their unfaithfulness uh, contrasted with the great faithfulness of God all the while. So we've got Judges chapter 1, verses 1 through 26 this morning. Since that is a large chunk of text, we're going to break it up into a couple of smaller sections. So I'm going to start here in Judges chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek, and fought against him, and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. All right, we'll pause there, Pastor Omar. That was verses 1 through 7 of the text. One of the things that I think stands out right away in the book of Judges is the tribe, Judah. Judah takes a leadership role here. It's a, a role given by the Lord. Why is this a, a significant thing to notice? Yeah, so one of the,
1: the biggest Differences um, with judges, um, one of the biggest differences that, that makes a difference than the, than the Israelites experienced prior to this is that when they were released from slavery, when they became that people, they had a leader, a strong leader, Moses. He was their, their prophet, he was their political leader, and, and he... He did a good job of uh, being the people's leader and keeping them faithful. Of course we know what happened to Moses. He disobeyed God, and God did not let him into the Promised Land. But his role was taken up by Joshua, and Joshua was like his uh, mentor Moses in a lot of ways, that he, he was faithful, but when he dies... Um, there doesn't seem to be another person to kind of pick up the work. So at the beginning of Judges, instead of Israel being led by one person, that role kind of gets taken over by Judah. Hmm. And as you had asked, uh, why Judah? Well, as we know from Genesis chapter 49, that Judah of all the tribes of Israel Had obtained a very special place because it was going to be from their ranks that the Savior was going to come. So right here at the beginning of the Book of Judges, we see where with that leadership role, that preeminence uh, amongst the tribes starts. Um, That tribe from which the the Savior is going to come uh, takes the leadership role of the entire nation.
0: Uh, That contrast that you have in the book of Judges with other parts of Israel's history, that they lack a central leader, is, is interesting to think about. I, I'm just trying to think through the history of Israel in my own mind. In the book of Genesis, they are not a, a nation per se yet, but the book of Genesis does revolve around Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, You've got these key central figures. And as you said in the book of Exodus, then Moses becomes the leader for God's people. The Lord appoints him. Even, And I'm just thinking through, you know, before Moses comes up, well, who's their, their leader? Well, they're, I mean, they're in slavery, but there is no central figure for them to look to at that point. They finally cry out to the Lord, and he delivers them, of course, through Moses. And then after Moses, you get Joshua. After the period of Judges, the the key figure will be Samuel. He's going to be the key figure that will lead then into the time of the kings. And as the kings come, you know, you you have Saul first, and, and that doesn't turn out well for Israel. Then David and Solomon, generally very good kings, although Solomon starts to fall away, it seems, during the end of his life. And after that, you get the divided kingdom. And during that period of the divided kingdom, it seems... here's here's the point I think I'm driving at, Pastor Ulmer, is that as go the leader, that's the way the people go. So generally, when you've got someone like Moses or Joshua or David, when you've got a faithful leader, the people tend to be faithful. But when you get an unfaithful leader— for example during the divided kingdom someone like say Ahab in the north or Manasseh in the south yeah manasseh i mean those no, are the I ones that manasseh. that stand out you the people are unfaithful and and i think what so what's interesting here about the book of judges is that you don't necessarily have a a faithful leader or an unfaithful leader you simply have no real leader yeah. and and it's not like it's a neutral time when there's no leader then the people simply I mean, the faithlessness only grows. Does that make sense?
1: No, I I think that that does make sense here. I think that the interesting part about it is that even when they had a strong leader and even when they didn't have any leader at all, I I think the whole point was that the people should have understood that Yahweh was their leader, but Mm. it's always that one thing that the people forgot over and over and over again. In fact, when they start crying out for a king, what does God tell them? You don't need a king. You have a me. Hmm. You have me. Hmm. But that uh, never seems to to play out for God's people.
0: Right, or even I mean, I'm thinking through, uh, for example, Moses. A couple times when the people grumble against him, he tells them, "Why are you grumbling against me? Your problem isn't with me. Your problem is really with the Lord." So that even, yeah. even through all these strong leaders, and, and that I think is what makes them strong leaders, <laughs> is, is that they're not pointing to themselves, but they're pointing to the Lord. Moses recognized that, that he's not the one leading the people, it's ultimately the Lord leading the people. And, and the kings, when they are faithful, are, are staying true to what the Lord has given them in the scriptures, rather than going off on their own ways. And so when there's when there's no leader at all to direct people to the Lord, well then that's where something like the book of, of Judges happens. Now now having yeah. s- go ahead go ahead. Yeah, well I was
1: going to say I, I think you can extend that even into the the later history of Israel. You had mentioned the divided kingdom, um, and the Northern Kingdom never has any kings that are called good. Why? Because all of their kings led the people away from Yahweh. In the southern kingdom, there's a history of having two good kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, and what makes their reign good. They they lead the people in the paths of Yahweh. Hmm.
0: Right, right. And all of all of this is of course pointing to finally the I mean, you know, thinking of kings as anointed ones, as as Messiahs. That's what the word anoint or messiah means anointed one, and kings were anointed. All of these leaders are finally pointing forward to the Messiah, to the son of David. Who is also David's Lord, Jesus. And and that's where the tribe of Judah here in the book of Judges taking the leadership role, or rather being given the leadership role by the Lord, is so important. This is this is a reminder of the promise that and, and this is what the Old Testament is all about. Is, is this promise given back in Genesis chapter three of the offspring, the one who would come and crush the serpent's head, and that promise is is going, going through the line of Judah. And so Judah takes the leadership role here as the one from whom the Christ will come, the Messiah, the promised seed, the one who will ultimately be Joshua, the name Jesus means Joshua, or mm-hmm. I said that wrong. Joshua and Jesus are the same name in Hebrew. They both mean the Lord saves. saves. Right, right, right. Yeah, I said that wrong. So, so they're the same name. So the ultimate Joshua, the ultimate conqueror of of our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, will be Jesus from the tribe of Judah. And so, right here at the at the beginning of the book of Judges, we have we have a, a connection to Christ. And I, I think I think that's important because in the book of Judges, particularly, it can be easy. To uh, get so, um, what's the right word? It, enticed, uh, entranced by the by the accounts. You know, there's some really cool details in the Book of Judges. Uh, it's it's a great book for for teenage boys to read because of the, oh, the yeah. detail it, detail of battles. And it's so easy maybe to get enchanted with some of those details. And that's not wrong. But we might miss this that that this is a book that does everything that the Old Testament does, and that is point us forward to the Christ Jesus. Yep. Any, any thoughts on that, Pastor Elmer?
1: No, I, I think that that's absolutely right, and uh, it's one of the one of the fascinating things that I kind of noticed when I was doing the study for this particular conversation, because as you kind of mentioned earlier, this is not a, a part of the Bible that I found myself being super familiar with, but but right there... When, when Joshua dies and the people need a, a leader, there's only one, if a tribe's going to take it over, there's only one tribe that can take it over, and that is Judah. And lo and behold what happens. Um, Joshua dies, the people say, who's going to go up for us against the Canaanites? And God says, Judah. Hmm. God says, Judah.
0: Yeah, Judah. The And the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, is coming. He is the ultimate conqueror. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 6th, and we are looking at Judges chapter 1 verses 1 through 26 with Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Elmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Elmer, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 through 7, saw the leadership role for the people of Judah from whom Christ will come. And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about in our introduction how this book is very much characterized by the people's unfaithfulness. And yet, so far we haven't really seen that. The people have inquired of the Lord They said, Judah will go first. Judah did that. He brought Simeon along because Simeon's territory was inside the territory of Judah's. And and they're successful. They're being faithful. Well, we'll see how that continues as we keep going through the text. So we're going to pick up now. We're in Judges 1 verse 8 is where we're picking up. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who lived in the hill country, in the Negev, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Sheshai, and Ahimon, and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath-sephir and captures it, I will give him Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kinaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her her the upper springs and the lower springs. That's Judges 1, verses 8 through 15. Pastor Ulmer, again, we see more success by the people of Judah as they are conquering the land allotted to them. That's maybe one thing we should mention briefly, is that as we're talking about these tribes, because this will continue in chapter 1, they generally are conquering the land that was assigned to them not so much, this is not necessarily each tribe fighting throughout the land of Israel, but more the tribes going to the land that had been allotted to them, that was done in the book of Joshua. And and so we see that success here again. And then the author of Judges particularly takes the time to remind us of Caleb. Now, Caleb is one of those folks from the Old Testament that we may have learned about in Sunday School, but maybe our our memories are a little bit shaky on Caleb. So who is Caleb? Why does he get highlighted here?
1: Caleb is kind of, I I guess you might be be able to call him the understudy of, of Joshua, and he was somebody who was found to be very faithful to the Lord his God, And as part of his faithfulness, he was allotted this land in Hebron. And here we see that with Judah's help, this um, conquest happens. So when they get there, Caleb um, says, whoever gets this land gets to marry my daughter, and everything kind of plays out as it should, based on
0: the faithfulness of Caleb and the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, Caleb—I'm not sure if I caught this— Caleb was one of the two faithful spies. That's the first place we meet Caleb in the Old Testament, right?
1: Correct, yep.
0: So that—and that takes place in the book of Numbers, uh, just again that refresher of some Old Testament history here, that in yeah, the Numbers book of— Numbers
1: 13 specifically. Right,
0: so, so the Lord sends— his people into the to conquer the promised land they send 12 spies one from each tribe ahead of them and 10 of them come back and say there's no way we can do this two though are faithful and that would be Joshua and Caleb and and you're right to an extent Caleb functions somewhat as an understudy of Joshua though not as we said already with the matter of leadership in Israel not quite in the same way as Moses to Joshua worked. So, so Caleb, and Caleb is of that same, more of that same generation, and he does outlive Joshua, it seems here. Now, some of this that we get recorded here in Judges chapter one is also recorded in the book of Joshua as well. So there's one of those places where you get some, some overlap. So Caleb gets mentioned here. For some of these reasons, I think it's also important to note, and, and perhaps particularly for the author of the book of Judges, it's important to bring this matter up with Caleb, particularly because of Caleb's daughter and who she ends up marrying, this this Othniel. What do we know about Othniel?
1: Yeah, Othniel, this this guy, he is going to become pretty significant here in just a little bit, because after marrying Caleb's daughter— um, and inheriting a good chunk of land from her because she is going to ask her her father from some land and some, some water. And he does listen to her, and he grants it to her. But Othniel is going to end up becoming the first judge here in Judges chapter 2, which I'm sure you're going to go into a lot when you get to that, that part of uh, the study.
0: Right. So so again, this is, uh, just to, to reiterate, here's one of those examples where there's some overlap within Joshua and Judges, but the the reason here particularly, it would seem, is because Othniel will become the first judge in a, in just a couple of chapters, so he gets a, another mention. Anything else in, in those verses with Caleb, Othniel, Caleb's daughter, that we need to, to hit before we move on to the rest of the text, Pastor Elmer? I don't think so. All right, so... Let's continue. I think from here on out, we, we're in verse 16. Now I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the text for us because there's definitely a lot to talk about. So Judges 1, verses 16 through 26. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negev near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zepheth and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. And the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had said. And he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you and he showed them the way into the city. And they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. That's the rest of the text, Judges 1, that was verses 16 through 26. So, Pastor Almer, I think maybe the main thing that we see in these verses is this is where we start to see the Turner Corn. The corner turned. Goodness, we start to see the corner turned in from the matter of faithfulness into some unfaithfulness, and success into some failure. Now, now we're still primarily, I think, in the matter of success in driving out the people of Israel, the people of Israel driving out the la- the Canaanites. You see that still with the tribe of Judah. And in verse 19, probably the thing we really want to highlight is in verse 19, where it says, The Lord was with Judah. Anytime we see success in the book of Judges, this is the reason. The Lord is with his people.
1: Yeah, the, the success of the, the conquest from the Israelite's perspective was always when God was with his people. And up to this point in Judges, that was the case. God was with Judah. Judah had success. And they had they had conquered that the territory that was allotted to them, and then there was this, there was this plain, and the inhabitants of the plain were not kicked out because of at least the, the excuse from the people's perspective was that they had a military advantage in having uh, chariots of iron. Um, they they felt as if they could not. Um, conquer them because of this and and after this point you you see especially with uh, that the tribes of Rachel um, Benjamin and Joseph that when they go into their conquest, they are are not going into it merely trusting in God to hand uh, their enemies into their hands, but rather they, uh, try to use a little bit of their own strength and their own wit, and it ends up backfiring on him pretty bad here. Mm.
0: So in, in general, and this is really the the contrast that we're going to see throughout the book of Judges, and it's really true throughout Israel's history, is that when the people trust the Lord, things go well for them. When they stop trusting the Lord, things don't go well for them. That's probably way too simplistic. But, but that's generally the, the way that things go.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that that is generally the truth. When the people listen to, to Yahweh they to succeed, and when people turn away from Yahweh, they fail. And they fail spectacularly.
0: I, I think, too, and, and we're going to see this throughout the book of Judges, this verse 19 where it says, The Lord was with Judah is, is very important because the Lord does remain with his people throughout the book of Judges. But they are the ones who will turn away from him. They're the ones that will leave him. And this, we don't see it in today's text, but we will very shortly in the book of Judges. They turn away from the Lord to worship false gods. The Lord doesn't leave them. He remains faithful. But they are the ones forsaking him. And you, you see hints of it already here in Judges chapter 1.
1: Yeah, you see hints of it here, firstly, in verse 21, when the people of Benjamin uh, seek to to conquer and take over the city of Jerusalem. I mean, up to this point in history, uh, Jerusalem had been, had remained unconquered by the Israelites, so a little bit earlier in this particular text. With Judah's help, uh, the Benjaminites laid siege to and set the city on fire, But when they went to finally do the job, to to finish the job, to to take it over and to eliminate the enemy, we we don't know the reason why they they left the Jebusites alone, whether they were were strong or too dug in, or, or just they thought that they were impossible to beat. No matter what the reason was, Benjamin did not listen to the Lord to destroy all the people of the land. They left the Jebusites alive and Jerusalem, and what happened to the people of Benjamin through the Jebusites? The Jebusites led them into idolatry, mm. um, and you see that right here in verse 21.
0: Right, and, and that's going to be the, the key, especially in the text we'll look at tomorrow, is that when the people of Israel do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, and they begin to live together with them, and intermingle with them, and sometimes intermarry with them, the the real snare is the idolatry that the Canaanites will lead the people of Israel into. And you're right, you know, the, the exact reason here is not spelled out as to why the people of Benjamin don't drive out the Jebusites, but they don't. That's the, the fact of the matter. This, yeah. this I think I mentioned earlier, is one of those spots where we get a, a clue as to when this book might have been written, where it says that the Jebusites were, were living in Jerusalem to this day, would point to sometime before King David comes along and does finally conquer the city of Jerusalem. I think that's in Second Samuel is where that happens. And so, so likely we have a, at least a hint, perhaps, as to when the book of Judges might have been written there uh, concerning the, the Jebusites. But again, just, just to emphasize, and even here, as you noted with the people of Judah, as we've been saying, they've, they've showed themselves to be pretty faithful so far in terms of the way that they've gone and conquered their allotted territories. They've even helped both Benjamin and Simeon in, in their task as well. But, but even Judah is not fully driving out the inhabitants of the land, as you said, it, because of the chariots of iron that's listed there. You know, again, the, the full reason is not spelled out, but you as this chapter continues, particularly in tomorrow's text, you get this this sense that the people are not fully doing everything that the lord has given them to do for whatever reason and that ultimate ultimately that's unfaithfulness and that unfaithfulness leads to idolatry and to that that terrible cycle that we're going to see in the book of judges starting really in chapter 3 correct so pastor Ulmer, then we've also got here it, the, you've got a transition. Judah really takes the back seat. You get the people of Benjamin in verse 21, and then the house of Joseph comes up in verse 22. And then in tomorrow's text, we're really going to start to hear about other tribes as well. The house of Joseph, of course, is, is two tribes in the people of Israel. Just a, again, a, a brief Old Testament background thing. There are 12 sons of Israel, and I'm not going to try to name them all, <laughs> uh, but, but in I would the, fail, I would fail also. So I, I, should, I, I say that to my shame. I should be able to do that, just like I should be able to name the 12 apostles, I should be able to name the, the 12 tribes of Israel. I, I will learn to do that before this study is ended. So the, the 12 tribes of Israel, there are, there are 12 sons. Joseph, of course, is only one son, but he gets a double share in the land— and there are still 12 tribes. So the way that works is you get Levi, one of the 12 sons of Israel. He does not receive an inheritance in the land because the sons of Levi become the priests, the priestly class who serve in the tabernacle in the temple. And that makes way then for the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, to receive that double portion. So there are still 12 tribes the house of Joseph is actually two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, the author of Judges here brings up the house of Joseph, and describes particularly their conquest of Bethel. He does this in a bit of detail, and as you start to hear the detail of Joseph's conquest of Bethel, you—if if you're familiar with some of the the accounts in Joshua, there's some there's some bells going off in your head. What 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 are some similarities to an account in Joshua here that we've got here in Judges 1?
1: Yeah, so when, when the tribes of Joseph end up going to uh, take over Bethel, uh, I think it's pretty easy to see here that instead of completely following Yahweh and his decrees and his mandates, they decide to take a little bit of a of a trick from from their prior conquest here. And uh, the the trick that they're going to try to play is the same one that was used in the conquest of Jericho in Joshua where the the people who were sent to to spy on Jericho and check out its defenses, they had made a deal with Rahab that if she hid them and helped them spy that she she and her family would be spared, and Joseph tries to do the same thing here with with Bethel they send spies, they found somebody, and against the command of yahweh they they make the deal if you help us out, we will deal kindly with you and this this leads uh Joseph to a take over Bethel, but when they take over Bethel, some people the land remain. And as we've previously discussed, what's the problem with having some people of the land remain? Well it always it always led the people into idolatry, which led people away from Yahweh, which starts the cycle of the book of Judges. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And and here in particular not only do, do some of the people remain, but they actually they go elsewhere. And, and build something else, rather than being incorporated into the people of Israel, which is the real difference between what happens in Joshua chapter 2 with Rahab, and, and really that account gets finished later in the book of Joshua in chapter 7, I believe, or 6 or 7, I can't remember exactly which one now, uh, where, where Rahab—this uh, this is the key difference— Rahab becomes a member of the people of Israel and and such a key member in fact that she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 remember records Rahab the prostitute as one of one of the people who is in the line of Jesus himself. So in in that case you've got the people of Israel working with someone in the city of Jericho. But that that person Rahab and her family actually are incorporated into the people of Israel. They become believers in the one true God, which was part of the point of Israel all along was to bear witness to the one true God so that Gentiles would come and join them. So, so that's the direction there. Here and this is—I I didn't really notice it till you pointed this out to me, Pastor Almer. But but the direction here is is wrong. And so although on the surface the account looks like the same thing that's happening at the beginning of the book of Joshua, it's actually quite the opposite. That here you have the people of Israel making use of one of the people of the land, but rather than taking any trouble to convert them or or work towards that conversion by speaking of the one true God they simply let this person go their own way, not only literally geographically, but go their own way in terms of their idolatry as well. Yep. I mean, just reflect a little bit, because it's, like I said, reflect on that for a little bit for us, because it's just a, I mean, I would not have noticed it had you not pointed it out to me, and it seems a very profound thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that you can probably, you can probably oversimplify the the life of the people of God, as we have said, to understanding that things go well when we do what God asks us to do. And when we do the opposite of what God asks us to do, we can conversely understand that things don't, don't go well. And in this one text, we we see the the truth that Israel had experienced in the past, and and we see what they're going to experience in the future because they're going to go through these cycles of being faithful and unfaithful. And, And right here, it's just... I, I I guess i'm I'm trying to find the words to explain what i'm what I'm thinking, but we just see so succinctly in this one chapter how that all works out mm-hmm. and and joseph the the tribe of Joseph might have thought that they were that they were being uh, smart they might have thought that they were being shrewd they might have thought that they were fighting their battle intelligently but in doing so, they showed their faithlessness, and the, the fruit of that faithfulness, faithlessness uh, won't be kind of tasted until down the road, which um, they will be tasted, because what does Bethel end up becoming? It becomes mm. one of the main cities of the Northern Kingdom. It becomes one of the main cities of the Northern Kingdom's idolatry. It becomes maybe a, a main beacon showing... Uh, what walking away from Yahweh does to his people.
0: Mm, yeah, that, that's I, I had not made that connection, but you're right. Bethel does become one of the idolatrous shrines later on, this very city that the, the people of Joseph are taking. Another thing stood out to me as you were talking, Pastor Ulmer, and we've got about four minutes just as a, a heads up to do more reflecting here, but it, it stands out to me that this isn't just a 180-degree a turn away from the Lord here. It, it is a gradual thing even in things that that seem good and right and I think that's that's generally true when when people fall away from faith it doesn't, General, it doesn't always. Sometimes it does, but it, it generally isn't where you wake up one day and you say, "I don't believe in the Lord anymore. I don't trust yeah. Him anymore, and I'm gonna do the opposite." But it, it generally is a, a gradual thing. I I used to I used to do uh, an illustration with my confirmands in in our confirmation class in Smithville. We've got a, a one of those, just a, a regular green plant. I think it's an airplane plant is what they call it, and. And whenever I would talk about the idea that confirmation is not graduation, I would I would pull a branch off of that plant and ask them what's going to happen to this branch and they would say, well it's going to die And of course they were right and that was the point I was going to make. if you cut yourself off from Christ you will die. But it, it struck me a few weeks later as I, cause I there was one stretch where I did this like once a week. And so I, I would throw that leaf into the trash can in the classroom and I, you know, there was no trash in there other than that. And so it never got emptied. And, and three weeks later, I looked into the trash can and I just noticed how I could tell when I had ripped off each leaf because it was gradually dying, that that the green color had gradually gone. And I looked at the one that was in my hand that was still bright green and it just dawned on me that our, our, our falling away from faith is often like that, that we don't do it Just like that and we're all of a sudden oh I'm dead it it often is a very gradual thing and we we take one step after another and and pretty soon while we find ourselves like the people of Israel will find themselves in Judges chapters 2 and 3 and then following in this this terrible cycle rather the Lord calls us to to constant watchfulness vigilance staying true him. So that that was a long excursus, Pastor Amor, now we've got about two well, yeah. minutes left. So, so well, with, with two more, minutes, well, help even us wrap more up.
1: Sinister than, well, even more sinister than that, I think a, a lot of people in their, their path away from the Lord, there's always a, a really good reason for it. Nobody wakes up and says, oh, Pastor, I, I just decided I wanted to be a heretic today. It, it, there's usually a good a good reason a good explanation for it and just like here with Joseph they probably had a very good reason to make a deal with the Hittites but that is not what God called them to do mm-hmm. and and the fruits of their faithlessness uh, were eaten later on in their history
0: right so pastor Omar with with that warning then just real briefly like 30 seconds give us give us some encouragement from this text then
1: yeah i mean Encouragement from this text is understanding that in the history of God's people, that everything is done at the Lord's direction and the Lord's control. He did set up for himself a people by which his name would be known to the world. And in this tribe of people known as the Israelites, he did set up a one of those tribes in Judah through which he did give us his a faithful son, Jesus Christ, the one who was born to die to save humanity from its sins and who now lives and reigns to all eternity that we might have life too.
0: Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 1, verses 1-26. through 26. Pastor Ulmer, thanks for being our guest today.
1: You're welcome. It's a pleasure.
0: I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.